0: Hi, I'm your host, James Barrow, a creative-turned-marketing director with over 20 years' experience in the advertising industry. Join me as I go behind the scenes with a range of innovative thinkers. Hear what inspires them, their processes, and the methods to their madness. Find insights that can help unlock your creative potential and apply them in your life, career, and business. Right here on The B-Side with James Barrow. episode 35 of The B-Side, I speak to Rob Campbell, Chief Strategy Officer of Colenso BBDO New Zealand. Rob is an ex-session guitarist turned strategic advertising firebrand who believes in living on the edges creatively and in the power of culture, creativity and chaos. He's worked all over the world with some of the biggest brands like Nike, Spotify, Virgin and even Metallica. We discuss his new book, Dream Small, where a group of planners and a photographer went out on a road trip across New Zealand to capture how youth culture expresses how they see their life and future without filter. He shared his creative approach and his strategic methods drives home the importance of building a culture where people are free to take risks and create scary good work. It was a friggin' awesome episode, confronting in some ways. I absolutely love chatting to him and I hope you enjoyed as much as I did. Cheers. Well, episode 35, and I'm here with Rob Campbell. It's an absolute pleasure to speak to you, and thank you so much for giving me some of your time.
1: Oh, mate, thank you for stupidly asking me. I really appreciate it.
0: (laughs) Um, Why don't we just jump straight into it. For the viewers who aren't familiar with your work and what you're doing, in your relatively new stint over at Colenso BBDO, probably one of the most creative, highly awarded um, agencies in the world, and it comes out of a little old Auckland. Rob (laughs) is the head of strategy, the chief strategic officer, taking on the um, incredibly hard task of topping the work that they've done previously. So I might just hand over to you Rob do you want to give the audience a bit of an idea of your background where you've come from what you've done and so
1: on that sounds like really like grandiose and terrifying uh, <laughs> I don't just to mate I just thought I'd yeah, you know, I mean, build you up a bit I definitely have an ego that Bono would be jealous of but you know when it's on a recording it's a nightmare uh I've I've just been really fortunate to live all around the world I've always worked in creativity um i work with, obviously, brilliant people here in Colenso. Yeah, for me, my entire life has been basically going around the world, dealing with creativity, culture, and a bit of chaos for everyone from Nike through to Spark. Now, Spark is a
0: New Zealand telco,
1: is that correct? They would. David- Prefer us to say digital services company, but yes, in, in its uh, sure. origins, it's definitely
0: there. Can I ask you a, a bunch of really silly questions? Because I want to make you feel even more uncomfortable than I did with my <laughs> grandiose uh, introduction. You used to be a, um, a session guitarist for some of the world's most popular pop stars. That feels like a bit of a downgrade working in advertising. Why would you? <laughs> quite a lot of them were quite
1: underwhelming. <laughs> um, I wanted to be a rock star more than anything on this planet, it was unbelievable. And then I was an idiot and screwed it all up in terms of with things with the music union, so I got banned, rightfully I should say, uh, because uh, so that ended, and I needed a job, and I'm hugely grateful that I fell into advertising. My parents were almost mortified. My father was involved in law and uh, human rights aspects. My mum, who was Italian, have her family were always against the mafia. So me getting into advertising was <laughs> like my version of rebellion probably. But um, yeah, I, I loved it. Absolutely yeah. loved it. And it, it, even though, um, you know, that's 17,000 years ago, I still approach my job almost like a music set list in my yeah. head of how I write presentations, how I do stuff. But yeah, it's... Oh, is it a down? Yeah, it's a downgrade. It's definitely a downgrade. <laughs> but it's, a, it's a good downgrade.
0: I didn't mean that. I'm just being silly. You have worked in the UK, Australia, as you say, Singapore, Hong Kong, China. How long were you there for? Out
1: of curiosity. Uh, in China, I was uh, lived there seven years. Seven years. Yeah, that's a long stint. Yeah, it really is. China is the most special place in my life, mm. even now. Yeah. Um, I've lived in lots of places. I appreciate that there's stuff in China that's not great. Like there is in every country. But it was an absolute privilege. And I'll always, I have a, I do some private work and I have a client there and I love it. But yeah, it's tattooed on me. Yeah, it was amazing.
0: I was there for about a month uh, in Shanghai. It just blew me away as well. Just sort of all the um, preconceived notions I had of China and the people and uh, just went way out the window. Can you talk to me about the Birkenstocks. I saw a talk of you yeah. walking around the stage, it, wearing your yeah, Birkenstocks, it, it, and showing a, yeah. a, a painted portrait of your cat. And I thought, this—I've got to talk to this guy. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Ber- Birkenstocks have been a a disgustingly long part of my life. I got married in them. My <laughs> wife ended up marrying, him, getting married in them. Though hers were very expensive designer versions. Honestly. Maybe, maybe there is nothing more lazy than someone who's just worn Birkenstocks. socks. You're going to invest in some really cool socks though, man. You know, these socks or no socks? Yeah, yeah, those maybe socks, so. it. yeah it's, it's definitely no socks. It's that I'm an old guy and that was quite, but yeah, no, yeah. it's it, it's quite bizarre. Do you know the worst thing? What worst thing? Weirdest thing? I was in Amsterdam one time and uh, it was the first time i have been in Amsterdam. And this person on a bike stops and goes, So you, Rob Campbell? <laughs> I went, uh, yeah? And I went, who are you? They said, oh, oh you don't know me. Um, it's raining and you're the only person I know who would wear Birkenstocks. And I just wanted to see if it was. So I was going, oh, my God. that's That should have been the sign. But now I've stuck with them. Uh, they it, were you flying. responsible
0: for Nike inventing this new series of Birkenstock-like no, no. runners? That uh...
1: <laughs> Well, I mean, the, the big joke was I, I had to do a big presentation at Nike global head office, and Phil um, night was there, and I turned up in Birkenstocks, and everyone's going, "Oh my god!" Oh, but yeah, yeah one, I mean, it, they weren't Adidas, and I think their attitude was going. <laughs> they were more bothered that I was doing work for them than I was wearing Birkenstocks. Oh, I think oh, it's probably, right. but yeah, I, I, they are part of my life.
0: I've got a pair as well. I took me about three months to to wear them in because they were very uncomfortable at first. <laughs> now I just absolutely love them. They're so they're so comfy. Yeah. And then talk to me quickly about the School of uh, Strategic Arts. I know you founded that with Martin Weigel. Um why, why, yeah. why did you do that? And what's its mission?
1: Martin is my professional husband. I love that guy with all I've got. Um, and his now wife basically said, you two have a bromance, get on with it. So it was more a case of us just just doing something. We believe in what strategy is, we believe in its creativity, and we believe that there's a lot of it as absolutely shit. Mm. And um We wanted to try and help that, not tell people what to do, but give them maybe some things to think about to help them be the most dangerous version of themselves. It's a hobby. We'll see what happens in the future, but, yeah, it's it's good.
0: Who's been some of the other
1: influencers? I've been really blessed by being exposed to people who've given me their support when they probably shouldn't have, in all honesty. I mean, my parents are amazing. Uh, my parents always encouraged me to live a life of fulfilment rather than contentment, and I didn't really know what that meant till I was about 35, but that is a, a foundation of how to live is pretty amazing. I've been really lucky to have people who take the time to tell me when I'm being an asshole um, <laughs> and because they care about me um, rather sure. than they want to hurt, um, and people who've just brought me in. And and it's a huge range of things, not just from in advertising and creativity, but music, fashion, um, a whole range of industries. And lots of people who know me, my involvement with certain fashion brands is hilarious because I'm terribly unfashionable um, in my dress sense. But um, they've taught me so much and they've exposed me to the, the highest standards to expand my world. And frankly, anyone that wants me to be To be better, um, I'm really grateful for them. There's been a few that have just been really consistent. Martin is one of those, but there's lots of other people. Paula Bloodworth, yeah, she'll love to hear that. She'll be mortified, but she'll love it. But, (laughs) yeah, she's definitely one. Um, There's a whole range. You've got these really wonderful,
0: solid foundations to your thinking, and I wonder if the people who influenced you maybe helped shape some of those perspectives.
1: My mum always said care about what be interested in what other people are interested in. That's a pretty profound thing when we live in a world where you're interested in what you're interested in, or you want others to be interested in what you're interested in. Yeah, um, yeah. And it really helps set a course. And then my father was very much about uh giving a voice to those in the shadows uh to scare the people in the spotlight. And I I had that. And I don't want to position myself as a moralistic crusader because that's bullshit. But um I, I do believe in the nuances and the and the truth. I believe everyone's got a story. I, I believe that we should aim for the highest common denominator, not the lowest, that the uncomfortable truths are the ones that actually create the greatest change. I, I believe in all that, always have. I've had bosses, yeah. been really fortunate in my bosses and je- the majority of my clients. Like I'm now at an age where I know who I'm terrible to work with and who I'm great to work with. Yeah. And the clients know that so. Yeah, and people that respect culture rather than want to exploit them. Exploit That's my bag, really. I'm an old white man, so I've had inherent privilege. But what I'd like to do in this final chapter of my career in that respect, because, you know, I'm 52, I genuinely would like to destroy stuff to allow some just incredible people who are young and just because of different aspects then get a shot and i'd like to do what i can to destroy stuff to to let that happen and yeah, part yeah. of that's for me and part of that is honestly i have a young kid he's seven otis is amazing and i realize that he needs to see his dad like i did doing stuff rather than talking about stuff and that yeah. would be my way of proving it to him you say that your
0: job is to ensure no one gets complacent or ignores the truth of culture.
1: You've just touched on culture there. Was that the motivation for Dream Small? No, I, I've done this all around the world. You know, I used to do a lot with Nike, helping them understand what sports culture and youth culture. So I've always valued that and I valued it as a physical form rather than as a PDF because you, it's never meant to be the ultimate guide, but there's so much in it that gives you clues and Understand mm-hmm. when I came here, I wanted to do that. But the other thing, New Zealand was positioned to the world, was you know, in many ways, it is as this utopia. And I'm, I feel utter privileged to be able to, to bring my family and experience things here and with Kalenza. But I would read a lot of research here, and I was going, I've never lived in a country that's this perfect. I don't believe it is. It can't be. Mm. There's like, yeah. and then I'd start meeting some people or uh, from different uh, people of colour communities or different, and uh, I was going, oh, there's something going on. The reason we wanted to do it was, one, to find truth, because truth is the most important thing for any element of creativity. Uh, two, to, to give a voice to those that, for whatever reason, are not being heard or seen. And we heard things that aren't being talked about, but we heard it in so many in so many people's conversations in different ways that we felt it had to be expressed. But also my job is to help our clients be better than they thought they could be. And the most powerful way of doing that is to understand the truth of the context they're living in, not to exploit it, but to enable it and help it. So, yeah, there was a commercial value. But more importantly, uh, if you don't know the truth, how can you prosper? Do
0: you want to just quickly talk about what it is, like what it actually is?
1: Yeah, basically, Dream Small is a book where we went all around New Zealand. We had a couple of planners of different uh, heritages because it was important that they... They are part of the culture rather than observers of it. So they interpret it as it's meant rather than as people do through their own lived experience that doesn't have the context I'm a photographer. And our only goal was just to enable people to speak. We didn't want to put words in their mouth. Just, just wanted to hear what their life was and what they felt of their future. They care about this country a lot, but they, there is an underbelly. And I don't want to speak for them because... that. I'm an old white English guy. That's not right. But what we heard a lot was uh, a a generation or the people that we're seeing, there was a lot who felt that they were tolerated rather than welcomed. And that reflects in the opportunities, the values, and the the respect that they experience in society today.
0: What I found really quite interesting about the book and what it uncovered—it really debunked that perception we do have of the, you know, the easy-going, she'll be right, mate, sort of Kiwis—and uncovered these really deep, rich feelings, you know, feelings of serious things like racism and sexism, homophobia, belonging, and the stagnation that permeates um, a nation that has been quite often associated with being one of the most progressive countries in the world. So it was very sure. revealing and very. Surprising. Um, were you expecting that outcome?
1: There were some things I was probably surprised at the, at the level of energy that people felt towards certain subjects. It didn't really surprise me. The racism didn't really surprise me. I think mm. while New Zealand has done better than most countries in terms of respecting where it's come from and what it's done wrong, being better than everyone else doesn't mean you're great. Nothing. I think sometimes we can fall into that, especially if we're white and privileged. The progressive thing is really interesting because New Zealand has been, and in some areas it's still very progressive, but fundamentally you don't necessarily feel that level of progression anymore. And part of that is because it's a small population that Mm. naturally doesn't get the level of foreign investment as other markets. I don't want to bag New Zealand. I feel really honoured to be here. But what I do think is interesting is it's, it's phenomenal at marketing itself. And there's a lot of people here in it who care about this country but don't feel cared for. What can clients do with this
0: information? And how would would it influence the work? What are some of the practical applications of these insights and what you're uncovering?
1: The goal for us is for this to create change, not just to create knowledge to make sure we're doing things for this generation rather than about this generation. There's a lot of stuff, and this is not unique to New Zealand. There's a lot of stuff where any youth generation, companies doing stuff about them, not for them. So for us, part of it is understanding context of what they live, what they value, what's important, what they aspire to. One of the most powerful things for me that did surprise me was how many people didn't want to be referred to as a Kiwi. And they saw that as a an outdated stereotype, a montage of stereotypes they don't relate to or aspire to. That's pretty powerful. And that's not anti-New Zealand, but it was that um, persona. So there's lots of stuff that that could help shape the things. But the goal here, while it's to help make an impact on the work that we do, it's more importantly about helping our clients with the things that they are focused on and how they can help. The future of this country is dependent on a generation that if they're not heard, why will they care? So there is also, this is about building connections and bridges beyond just your category and understanding your role within the overall culture and the community. And the bit that I found hard, and this is not, I've got to be honest, we haven't spoken to all the clients, but there was one I spoke to and the presentation was called even chickens fly higher than Kiwis. And that's pretty provocative. Mm -hmm. Um, and again, I'm very conscious. I'm not allowed to speak for here. I was, I was represented. It's not my judgment. It was their voice. What was really interesting is like the role, for example, the internet has had in people's viewpoints. Like if you're being denied stuff here, but you can see on the internet when things are happening, that you're being accepted. Like it's, I have so much faith in the younger generation here. When we say dream small, it's not that they haven't got big aspirations, it's they're not allowed to have them. You know, even UNICEF have done something where they said New Zealand ranks, I think, thirty fourth out of 42 in terms of looking after its youth. And again, it cares about the people, but it needs to allow them a role in it because they will inherit this land. But the future of it, New Zealand of all countries, it needs dynamism and big thinking. To keep it moving yeah, forward. Yeah. It can't be yeah. reliant on everyone else. And there's a rich culture here that wants to contribute, um, but often of feel that they have to just comply.
0: Yeah, compliance. You think that's somehow linked to all poppyism.
1: Yeah, there's definitely there's definitely some of that. But it, it's interesting because like New Zealand's COVID approach was the team of five million, which is fantastic. And they did it brilliantly. But what's also quite interesting is the team of five million resonated much more with people who were older. Because for the 15 to 20-year-olds, uh, the team of 5 million is v- basically a message of comply. Mm, Don't look yeah. at your individualism, comply.
0: So if the client's can invite invite them in and communicate with them, not just talk at them because they want them to sign up to a contract, how would they do that?
1: We had a client recently who asked that same question. Sure. and And I said, oh, could you tell me a bit more about the makeup of your board? They told me, and it was pretty monoculture of the cliched kind. I said, Oh, you need an alternative board of directors, then you need to pay them. And you said, What? Well, and I said, Well, you've got a bunch of the same people who are wealthy and have never experienced anything, but you want a group of other people to come in there. Like they're, they're never going to understand the context, the nuance. They're not going to even accept it. So you need an alternative board that can actually make them hear it so this wasn't even about us making work like for me it was like the best solution was have an alternative board and that's yeah we're having a, a chat about actually making that happen next week which i'm super excited about honestly a part of it is everyone lives in their little bubble most people are interested only in what they want other people to be interested in just go and hear what life is rather than just how they use your product or what are the issues that they're facing? And then creatively, part of the thing is, how can a brand solve that problem as opposed to ignore it? And, or should a brand solve that problem? Yeah. <laughs> like, when, when should you not get yourself involved? Because there's a lot of brands that just force themselves into discussions. They have no right or, or validity to do it. It shouldn't be shocking to say, go and spend time in the audience, not through research groups, not through focus groups, just, just spend time in it, see it hear it, feel it, understand the slang. Like we did some work um, in the UK a few years ago. and It was fascinating that we heard people, like the, there were drug dealers that have set up an alternative 999 number because okay. the level of trust for the police was so low. That's telling you a huge amount of stuff that you yeah. can start extrapolating out. Um, but if you're, like I got asked by the APG in the UK years ago, how to do interesting strategy. And I wrote this, it was very pithy, but it was basically uh, people that live interesting lives create interesting work. People who care about the people in the shadows create work that actually resonates with with the heart of culture rather than just those that have the privilege and the spotlight. Um, it's, not, it's not hard to grasp, it's just, it's inconvenient. And mm. yet it's vital. Yeah, you did say in the
0: um, opening notes of your book that there were no focus groups, no or judgment no fancy hotels. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and you've pretty much explained why that is. It sounds as though going out into the field, studying the lines where they live, let them reveal their true natures, as opposed to, uh, you know, enticing them into a cage and, and feeding them treats to try and elicit a response.
1: Yeah, a friend of mine said, I mean, the basic premise is like, go and spend time in the jungle, not at the zoo. Yeah, um, yeah. I think I was trying to get to that point, real. but you articulated it so much more <laughs> succinctly and beautifully. <laughs> Anyone that commits to, like lots of people talk, I've lived all around the world where they say, oh, we care about insert country here. But what it tends to mean is doing work to the mass. But when you, when you talk to the people who are often left in the shadows, by helping them, you help everybody. Mm. Um, but lots of companies don't do that. I have a lot more faith in a lot more people than often many may think Um, my only goal is to help our clients be successful by actually doing stuff that got real value to culture using creativity in the most powerful way rather than the most um, lazy that's all I want to do and you know most people put up with me well we don't always we don't always get the best result we want or we don't end up but you know what we'll always try I'll, I'll I'll always love that What's some of your favorite
0: examples of that? what's some of your favorite work you know, when you have a client that is on board and, and helps drive through an idea because it can be very hard um, in the world of clients as you know your idea is born, this beautiful healthy bundle yeah. of joy and positivity and then it goes through the various layers where yeah. you know you wind up with this poor little malnourished thing and it's barely surviving and you've got to work even harder as the agency to revive it and bring it back to life and so on that's a very dark. <laughs> Metaphor, but you, you yeah, get no. the idea when we're talking about ideas because they do need love,
1: yeah.
0: nurturing, and They, they, and they need right?
1: love. They need protection. I think it works best when you're both aligned on what you want to create and what you want to change, and then that you're absolutely transparent. I got taught the greatest gift you can give anyone is transparency and honesty. It's not always loved, but if the goal is because I want you to win better than you thought. At Nike, there was um there was a client of mine who I'm really fortunate I. I work with again, um, albeit he's uh, at a different global company. And he said to me, Rob, middle management want to be told they're right. Senior management want to be told how they can be better. And he proved that every single time. And um, yeah, it, he, was, he was, and I've had a number of clients on that. And I've got some still like that. Uh, okay. We're, we're united in what we want to do we're united in what quality is we might have our bust ups and stuff but it's like it's because we want to be great rather than we want to be safe and mm. yeah they' are the people that for me they'll get the best out of me and because i i want them i want them to win so badly because of the faith and the standards and yeah they're 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 epic people for me
0: in terms of um what makes for
1: a big idea? How would you determine or judge that? Is there a set criteria you look for? Um, well, I mean, a big idea versus a big advertising idea. I'm a big believer in the they're very different things. Yeah. Um, and, and just acknowledging what they are. But for me, it's like, well, what's the problem it has, it's trying to solve? Who's the people that we need it to represent? What's it changing? Yeah. Like if we can get to stuff where like I'm working on something at the moment in the States, and we were chatting today, and I just said, What what we're ultimately trying to get to is far bigger than we maybe are recognizing. It might not ever get there, but God, that's exciting. It's absolutely terrifying. Like I I I absolutely I love when there's an idea where it could be an absolute disaster (laughs) or amazing, because to me that means it's been pushed to the absolute limit. And when it could be, oh, my God, but what if it could be great? Um, Mm. When you know something's going to be really good, that's great, but you go, oh, have we pushed it enough? But, Mm. um, yeah, uh, for me that's when you go, oh, it could be one of these. It's big enough, you've pushed it enough, and it's powerful enough. And yeah, I, I'm 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 amazed at how despite having done this for so long, I'm still utterly immune uh-huh. to uh professionalism, and I just get stupidly excited.
0: <laughs> when you say big, could you define big in terms of the creative sense? Oh, I'm sensing emotion. Well, I mean there's it, a lot like behind the word Ch- big. Yeah.
1: yeah, in in China it was Impact. Yeah. It was a culture of um watching sport, not playing sport. So, how do we create an authentic sports culture with Chinese youth? Yeah, like yeah, that's a yeah. big challenge. And you go, Great, yeah. how are we gonna do that? Yeah. Um, it's not how do I get someone to buy one more bar of soap in a year? Yeah. No offense. I appreciate the, the importance of that, but um when you've lived in China, you 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 become addicted to ambition, however, that's Express, but I think part of the time is also about just understanding how to phrase the problem. And I've talked about it in the past, but you know, you know, Richard Branson, when we did some work with him on developing the Virgin Atlantic batch and his basic brief was make people want to miss their flight. That, oh, that's great. That's a brief I love that. Um, I love that speaks to customer around,
0: experience, doesn't it? You know, that experience, yeah, customer centricity.
1: But, but but also customer experience. like There's a lot of talk about that. It's Great brands have done it for years. It's years, not easy yeah, exactly. And, and, and we talk about customer experience a lot. And what they're really basically saying is uh, customer consistency. Yes. Experience. Experience yeah, is yeah. seminal, you know. And yeah. Yeah. so I get – that to me is a bit about the – hey, are we just accepting it or could we be great? Come on. Yeah, yeah, Um, yeah. I mean, there's this wonderful
0: This The design thinking thing is a little thing that I sort of do workshops on. And there's this one example I give, which isn't mine by any means. I think it's ideas, but it's like you give people a brief to design a vase or a vase, however you pronounce it. Or you could give them a brief on helping customers develop a new way for people to experience flowers. The wonder of flowers, you know, and that you can come up with two completely different things. If you, the brief is to develop a vase, it yeah, will come back with various shapes of a vase. But if you ask people to go off and come back with new ways to experience flowers, they'll come back with some amazing things: flower walls and drone deliveries and all sorts of scents. And you know, it's a, you know, it's it's just um, it opens it's up it's a whole. Of
1: that, bigness, yeah, to a lack like, of a, a better word. Yeah, I set up the Kennedys, which was um, in China. The widening candy creative incubator. Yeah, and so we we found a bunch of really talented creative people who've never worked in advertising before or creativity before as a full time job. And for nine months, we basically it was like a hardcore creative. It was amazing. But what I loved the most about it was whenever we gave them a brief. I would get to see radically different ideas versus different versions of the same idea. Yeah. And so much of that was about not giving them direction rather than description. It was about just like changing frames of reference rather than reinforcing. Um, God, I loved it. One of the best times of my life. I would sit there and just go. And I remember once we, um, we did one with a, a coffee shop in, um, shanghai it was like there's a billion coffee shops in shanghai how did it was basically how we, how do you get people to want to come to get coffee for this place and one of the guys came back and said well this coffee place is near the one of the only places in shanghai where people can run their dogs so i and she'd made these coffee cups um and she'd cut it in such a way that when you finished you could twist it and it would become a frisbee for the dog oh that's, awesome. go, that's a great idea yeah and you just go, okay. That is amazing. That's fantastic. Um, yeah. So, yeah, context, context and the framing of the question for me is how you launch creativity.
0: Can you give me a summary, like a quick summary of your process?
1: No, I mean, for me, it's understand what's the real problem.
0: And when you say the real problem, do you mean the business problem itself? And uh, does the client always yeah. know what their problem
1: is? Always a business problem. No, they don't always know what the problem is, yeah. um, or, they, or they choose not to. Uh, then understand with the audience, don't fall into the trap of um, talking about consumers. Understand the, the culture around the category and the audience and find what the, the tension is between what the brand wants and what they want and where there's the thing, where there's the, where's the tension, and identify a point of view that can allow the creatives to explore where it could go. That's it it's let's start there um obviously you're adding context of how people do things and use things and experience life um but for me it's a it's a it's a it's a, a an attitude to the context of life not just to the usage of the product um, or the brand um it takes a lot of hard work to be simple yeah, but simple yeah. is the most powerful thing you can get and i i worry that we're getting so complex um i had a i have two mentors and one of them uh, got a, a presentation from a company I once worked at, and they made such a big deal of how complex the solution was that he said, "You're making it sound more problematic than the problem. Why would I do it?" Yeah, and, yeah. It, and it was really like, "Oh, that's good. That, that our job is to you, you. don't create change if it's there. Might be a lot of complexity behind it, but you've got to pull it back to this is this is where we've got to go. Yeah, um, yeah, not simplistic, but simplicity. And uh, yeah, for me, that's that's still the thing that I fall back on. Um, the answers are often out there. We're just not necessarily hearing hearing it or seeing them properly. That's why I'm a big believer in like pay attention rather than just read stuff that other people have done.
0: Mm-hmm. You talk about the complexity um, and finding that simplicity, and I know the research is a huge. Part of what you do uh, in strategy, I'm I'm guessing there's a certain point where you've got to walk away and frameworks in the strategic world, you hear people geeking out on various frameworks and you could talk about frameworks mm-hmm. for like five episodes and, and the benefits of the various types. That plays a big part in strategic discourse. When do you
1: walk away from those frameworks and start that- going with your intuition? Great irony is, I wrote about it recently. There was a chart of all the different frameworks over the last 25 years. It's just endless. And what's interesting is they're, all of them are adding complexity to a fundamentally a simple question. Where are we? Where do we want to be? What's stopping us? How do we want people to feel about that? What's the direction we can go? Basically, whether it's in law, creativity, product development, those those are the benchmarks. And there's a lot of stuff that comes from it. But my God, I, I, the amount of times I said, so what are you asking me to do or to change? If you can't answer that, and you'd be amazed how many can't, then yeah. you don't have a strategy. You have a <laughs> you have a checklist. If you're a
0: bit of a martial arts buff like I am, I always come back and find a way of squeezing martial arts in into every <laughs> single one of my episodes. But the Way of the Dragon, Bruce Lee says to one of his students, feel, don't think. It's interesting thing you could be saying or anyone <laughs> could be saying to some of our younger strategists after you've done all that work, which is the table stakes. It's time to feel, don't think.
1: There's a quote in the Iron Lady movie with um, about Margaret Thatcher and she goes, feelings, feelings, what's happened to thinking or something? And I get it. I, do, I actually understand yeah, that yeah. because feelings have now become a dominating justification. And- but you need, but, but fundamentally, it's like what is the framework of what we're doing now? What's it feel like? I'm a bit yeah, like Hammond. Exactly. I'm exactly. There. Yeah, there's not one. Like, it's 14. not either or, is it? It's always a combination yeah. of both. Like, yeah. The amount yeah. of times, yeah, I, yeah. Like, I just go, I'm bored. I'm bored. What? what, what, what I'm not feeling anything. I, I don't mm. even get that. So it's there is a, a car crash, a beautiful car crash of that. Yeah, we, we're talking about making people feel something to move something or think something. But there was emotion. This idea that logic and emotion are separate bits when they're mm, always yeah. entwined, Yeah, that's yeah. another massive mess-up of how we've evolved. Well, well evolved. it's another wonderful
0: thing, and wonderful thing I liked about um, what you were saying in that you go out there, and I know you do this for all brands or wherever you land, whatever country you're in, getting out there and... and because you would have read all the research, you would have known, you know, the, the brand platforms and strategies and the marketing objectives and everything else and the KPIs. But you get out there and you you look for those stories that will uncover feelings. And you're part of this. Once you land on those shores and you're working in these complex dynamic systems, you become part of it. As yeah. soon as you become part of that system, you will feel something. You just have to allow yourself to do it because, unfortunately, this is a long statement. I know it's not a question by any means, but, unfortunately, we live in our advertising bubbles and um, it's always the other we're talking about, the other. The beauty of what you've done is you put yourself into it. You've been invited in.
1: And I think too many people look for answers, so they they miss all the nuance, the texture, the consideration. I just want but dream small is about understanding. It's not about answers mm. at all. Um, we allowed people to just talk. We weren't putting words in their mouth. It's like, we need to understand stuff.
0: You have quite a few perspectives on creativity and creative strategy. You know, I'll just quickly rattle through some of them. It's having a point of view versus a proposition or helping brands find a point of view as opposed to adhering to a proposition, leaving space to invite people in, which we've talked at length about. And the one that I really, really love is culture, creativity, chaos. Maybe we could just quickly touch on and unpack uh, the point of view versus a proposition. Can you talk about the differences between the two and why they're
1: important? Yeah, I mean, for me, a proposition is cement, Like that's it. <laughs> it's there. Uh, it doesn't necessarily reflect times or the changes. Um, it's stuck in that. And then you'll rebrand in a year. And that doesn't feel like you're building a brand. That feels like you're just constantly relaunching it. A point of view means it's a point of view in, on how life is. So whatever, whatever headwinds it faces, this point of view is its guiding light in terms of how it deals with it. So it, it's always resonant to culture, whereas a proposition often is at best relevant, at worst tone deaf. Um, so a point of view on how that brand sees the world and views it, that there's something very deep in that. It, it's playing to the long term, not the short. Um, and it's building a, a brand that has almost like a universe in how it approaches stuff rather than just a campaign. Um that's been my view for years and you know and I I certainly didn't come up with it um but it's just yeah it's what I believe passionately and and for me the brands I've worked on or the brands I like or the brands that have the most influence and culture tend to be the ones that have that versus the ones that just come in quick like long-term sustainable influence and power and profit and culture tend to be the ones that don't follow the, the traditional trajectory because they they understand that they're a beacon rather than a momentary attraction. And um, I'm not saying other brands aren't successful. I'm just saying that they're the ones that often have the most power and influence because they they embrace culture's perspective in what they do, but they have a clear point of view and who they are and what they think. And that's what makes it so powerful.
0: How do you guide them through that process of finding their point of view? I spend time in the vaults.
1: A slide I often use with classes, by being yourself, you will be different. Mm. The problem is, you're not being yourself right now. So, yeah. let me tell you <laughs> how oh, this yeah. is. I, I'm not making it up. I have no right to do that. My job is to find their truth. And it's and it's right there. It might be under some dusted books, but if you spend enough time, you find it. And mm. with that, uh, it gives you a, it you know, enables you to create, uh, reveal the point of view truth that's always been there that ultimately guides. This is not brand purpose. It's a different thing. Yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. This yeah. is this is uh, the point of view that that bounded that bounded the spirit and the values of what's going on, um, yeah. and then it's down to the want be or not.
0: You speak a lot about culture, creativity, and chaos, and I just wondered, this is a belief that you've shared for some time. Um, if you could unpack what is culture, what is creativity, and what is chaos as a trinity, and what are examples of when this
1: union works? Yeah, fundamentally, I mean, if I talk about the chaos, because I think that's often the bit that is misunderstood. Chaos is ultimately what people, outsiders, think is madness. The stuff they would put, they'd clear out of the filter before they put it in because they don't understand it. But actually, it's how the inner workings of the subculture work, the codes, the language, the signals, the context, the gaming, the ha- the, the hashtags, the photography, like that stuff that people go, oh, no, no. It's that, that gives it the nuance, the colour, yeah, the yeah. things that's the truth, the thing where you can walk in and you can tell whether that's a new fan of a team or an old fan of a team. Not because they're wearing an old T-shirt. It's just there's all that little language, the little clues that people, because no one allowed ever go, you an old fan. They'll ask them a the question or casually because that's how they get it. Like all that stuff, mm, like the mm. cultural codes, um, that comes from culture. And when you get that, then you're, you're not making creativity that disrupts, which feels like you're doing something to just be different. You're doing stuff that actually fucking gets really deep so people yeah. feel it. Chaos comes from understanding what the culture or the subculture really is. It gives you all that. It, it fills the funnel rather than it filters the funnel before it goes in. And yeah. then creativity has a chance to... Creativity has a chance to just fucking... Go to places you didn't realize, uh-huh. which to some might go, "What's that?" But actually, for the people in it, and, th- and they're and they're at the edge of it, rather than in the in the middle. They go, yeah, "That's yeah, where yeah. we're heading." It opens doors, or it, yeah. or it or it's it speaks a language without words, and that yeah. to me is that's why fashion's really interesting, design's really interesting, gaming is really interesting. There's so much stuff that's influencing culture in ways that aren't the the old models, like the the revolution of Gucci as a company from where they were to what they were, how Supreme helped luxury go from the elite and the exceptional to making luxury about fun. That is, that's massive. You know, all this stuff, all these cultural codes, that's chaos. Like, um, that's why SKP and Gentle Monster can do things that no one else can. Because they just get the audience better. Um, not that because the audience, the audience often know what they want. They just don't know how to say it. Um, and that's what I mean by pay attention. Um, but yeah, that that for me, those three. When you when you hear that and you hear the language and you know, you just know how people look at stuff, or you know that you know what. There was so much distrust about authorities that the, that the, the drug dealers have created an alternative 999 number. bar. But that, that tells you a shitload of stuff. There's a lot of chaos
0: theory sort of principles there as well. You know, you the most creative things are things you would never expect. How do you foster mm. the right culture to be able to create that chaos?
1: Create the conditions for the change you want, then you don't have to do any selling. But I do think that's really interesting, that the creating of the conditions rather than creating of the marketing.
0: So culture, creativity, chaos. That Peter Drucker quote, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Uh, if you promote that too heavily, mate, won't you be doing yourself out of a job? Isn't that doesn't isn't that quite ironic because you're spending more time as a head of strategy on building a culture, uh, building a team of diverse people and giving them the conditions to be able to thrive in a empowered environment, you know?
1: Yeah, but my strategy is born from culture rather than it's in isolation of them. But I'm okay if my if I make myself redundant. I mean, it's that that's that's fine. My biggest thing is I don't want mediocrity to win. I don't want uh, to, to, so. Um, but yeah, maybe, maybe maybe I am, and it's like uh, what I I absolutely love the arguments I have in my department. Love it. I'm. It's a gift and an honour to have people that go. I think you're wrong. And it's like, let's go for it. <laughs> it's great. Um, so yeah, they'll eat me for lunch and cultural eat strategy for lunch. So we'll we'll, yeah. we'll see where we end up.
0: That's fantastic. Well, uh, you must be. Um, I think that the, the the Brits have a bit of the cultural cringe as well. We the Aussies have the cultural cringe, and I know that New Zealand. The, the New Zealanders have that cultural cringe and it must be interesting for you coming in new. Do you feel that? I mean, that did come out in your research in the book or your interviews with the uh, youth. There is a bit of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the outsiders must be better, that inferiority complex. How do you tackle that? Because I know you are a white English strategist, uh, essentially, and people do look to you because you are somewhat of a, um, I would say a stereotype, but, uh, you know, unfortunately... I
1: I'm a total stereotype. How do you how do you I've as had, a leader, a how
0: do you combat
1: that? You know? Um, I mean, you'd have to ask my team if I if I combat that efficiently and effectively or not. And what I believe my job is, and I've said this to all of them. When they leave, at some point they all will. I want them to go for for a job that is bigger than they imagined they would be and where they're hired for, how they think, not just what they do. So for me, um, what's really important is giving them a safe place to be dangerous, have the arguments, um, be honest. There's too much desire for harmony rather than honesty right now. Um, But yeah, I mean, it's... Like when I was in China, it's just like I I, I was representing people in China, and so I had an amazing team around them, but it was really important that we spoke the truth, though. So Dream Small, as I said, is not about saying it's the generational truth of everyone, but I tell you what, there were so many people that said similar things, and no one's talking about it, so it needs to be heard. That's all we're trying to do, represent it. And because of who I am, I want us to make sure that we're doing something that helps change that for them rather than just communicates that as a... It'd be pretty shit if I just use that for commercial value. My job is to lead by example in terms of the standards and expectations. It is to open the door for them to go in rather than close the door behind me. It's really important to me because I believe creativity, really powerful creativity, can fucking change anything. And... And we, we're lost in the world where we celebrate the condiments rather than the steak, and I want to celebrate the steak and use the condiments. <laughs>
0: and <laughs> you have it. Yeah.
1: you know, uh, well, and me both, yeah. A bit of mustard
0: on the side but, didn't hurt anyone. But, you
1: know, yeah, so. exactly. So, yeah, we'll see. But it's, I'm old, and so, yeah, I just want to make sure that.
0: When you say old, you're not actually
1: that old. The listeners, well, I'm pretty old. You're 52. Industry, no, you're not that old. Yeah. You, you, but for you, this industry, that's pretty old. Yes, I
0: know. And, and I know that's the context behind what you're saying. That's a bit yeah. of a shame, isn't it, though? You know what I mean? That well, you have to say you're old at 52 in the advertising industry. And I know you're saying it with tongue firmly planted in cheek um, and you are making a bit of a statement about that because I know you've said that a few times in various interviews. And um, well, just quickly, I don't want to talk about that too much. It's a different of fish and different topic altogether. Uh, a quick sentence
1: on ageism in the advertising industry. 100% there's ageism, 100%. But let me tell you, it works both ways, you know, because um, I know people who are older who are, doesn't mean they're great and I know young people who are phenomenal. Like there's... My problem is we are judging the age, not the creativity. And... We should be evaluating people by that, and the whole industry isn't. It's going young is good because it's cheap. You might know some stuff. Old is bad; it's expensive, and that's judge the quality of the creativity, not the age. Um, but yeah, so there is definitely ages, but
0: um, we'll save that for another episode. <laughs> yeah hey uh um, rob why don't we quickly wrap up and I ask every one of my guests for a little bite of wisdom it's essentially a, a summary of their philosophy if I was to ask you for your bite of wisdom what would it be do what you think is right because you're going to get
1: fired anyway <laughs> uh
0: fantastic fantastic I want you to explain it but it would defeat the purpose of having it <laughs> Uh, be a bite of wisdom so we'll just leave it at that where can people go to find out <laughs> more about you rob where can people connect where can people uh oh, no, see no, more no, of your wonderful work no, and no, um, pick your brains I'd,
1: you'd see me at the opening of a pair of curtains i'm not hard to, to find honestly it's like i'm the world's biggest sharer. so if anyone is i don't know, bored enough they'll they'll find me my blog work whatever that, that's cool um, what, what is probably even more important to me, though, is that um, if anyone feels that what I've said resonates to them, but they feel that they're lost in it, uh, I'd love them to drop me a line. That and when they do that? Uh, I mean, they, they can just, even LinkedIn, it's easy, probably, because then they can sure. do it in confidence and privacy.
0: Rob, thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure. I really enjoyed chatting to you. I know I sort of asked you a couple of curly questions, but uh, you were so graceful in answering them. So thanks again.
1: Mate, I really appreciate you wanting to spend any time with me. So thank you so much for having me. Cheers, mate. Thank
0: you. Bye. Right, that was great, man. That was really good. Thank you. Thanks for your time. Sorry I went over it. Right? Thank If you'd like to find out more about me or the B-Side podcast, please visit jamesbside.com. That's one word, jamesbside.com. And you can follow me on Instagram at B-Side podcast. If you have any suggestions or feedback on the show, please email me at hello at jamesbside.com. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. The B-Side with James Barrow is produced by me, and I really hope it's helped unlock your creative potential. Thanks for listening, and until next episode, cheers.